0: And that it makes sense to them as well, because it, all e-commerce sites are different. I mean, the, everyone that we've made always, every company, every you know, has their own way of sort of thinking about things. So it has to make sense to them on the back end before you know, before proceeding further. Like Stephen said, okay, doing with everything, and then they come back and go, huh, what's this? <music>
1: From Foster Commerce, it's the Commerce Minded Podcast, a show where we go behind the scenes to talk with the people who make e-commerce tick. Retailers, agencies, independent creatives and developers, they're all here. I'm Stephen Callender. I'll be your host. And our guest today is Roger Glenn of Mach 1 Media out of Austin, Texas. Hey, friends, welcome back to another episode. We are glad to be here today. Uh, So this episode is cool. We talk with Roger Glenn. So we got Michael Van Dorth on the show as well. And so it's Michael, Roger, and myself. And this was uh, a chat that started with Roger kind of reaching out to us. He's doing a, a commerce build. And it's a complex one. It's a furniture store with different sources of furniture. And he wanted thoughts on the best way to structure that content those products and the categories and all that stuff so i said well hey let's just make a podcast episode out of it so that's what we did and that's what you're listening to if you are a developer who's developing craft commerce stores hopefully this is really helpful at this point i have no idea who's been selected for dot all talking but i actually submitted a talk kind of around this idea so this is one of my idea that was pitched was to kind of lay the groundwork of the most flexible way to set up a store in commerce so that's kind of future proof. Um, so this episode really kind of gets to, to some of that. Doesn't cover all of it, but we cover quite a bit. So but we also just get to know Roger. Um and being a, a fellow Texan, we had some fun things to talk about. So, but I'll just say this. So if you are doing something with commerce, I'm just gonna put this in the intro. I normally put this in the outro, but I don't know how many, how many of you stick around in the end. I get it. If you are working on some of the commerce, whether it's a plug in, a cool store, yeah, you know, it's crazy complex or just interesting. Or if you're marketing and you and you've been doing some cool stuff in commerce, e-commerce in general, so hit me up, be on the show, um, and there we go. But I do want to follow up on this. So <laughs> it's so funny. Some of the people who listen, the one thing they ask me is, "Well, so whatever happened to your chimney?" I, I realized I never finished that story, so I'm just going to tell it to you really quick. Our chimney works. There's nothing ever wrong with it. So, the guy who told us the chimney was wrong, uh, something was wrong with it, was a complete not a good guy. And so, we had somebody else come out and they were like, What's wrong with your chimney? And I was like, Oh, I'm so glad you said that. So, our chimney was fine. And so, we had a fires all the time. So, now I'm learning I'm horrible with yards. Our grass is growing and along with it, the weeds. And my parents came into town and I knew they were going to comment. And they commented about our yards, kind of like, So, uh, <laughs> you've left a lot of yard work to do. And so anyways, they helped out. I don't want to use like chemicals, like bad chemicals on our yard. Like, So what do you do? How do you take care of your yards and your weeds and stuff? So ours looks good in the lawn areas. It's just kind of along the edges and the cracks and stuff like that. It's just got junk. I feel bad, but not bad enough to do anything. It's like, do I really want to spend money on my lawn? Not really, but I kind of have to, I think being a homeowner with the yard. Oh, the rough suburban life. I sound like a complete idiot right now. I'd probably hate myself. <laughs> if I saw myself from 20 years ago, who I am now, I'd be happy. But i also be like, you live, I'm getting way too into this. I'll talk to my therapist about that. On that note, if you need a therapist, go see a therapist. There's nothing wrong with it. All right, we'll see you on the other side. Roger, you are in Austin, Texas, right? Yes. Have you been there your whole life?
2: Uh, Most of it, lived in El Paso for a couple years after my wife and I got married, but got back to Austin as soon as we could.
1: As soon as you could. (laughs) (laughs) So you like it there. Are you, is there a split? Because from the outside, it seems like there's a split of people in Austin that a lot of people are loving it because a lot of people are moving there, but some people are, don't like the fact that it's getting crowded or is Austin changing? Is it keeping its vibe or what's happening there in your view?
2: Yeah. So I've been here for, 30-ish years, 35 probably. And yeah, it's changed a lot over the years. Um, but in a good way, I mean, it's it's definitely getting crowded. A lot of people are moving here from all over. A lot of people from California. It's still going to be weird, you know, Austin, weird, keep it weird. <laughs> and it's still going to be a, a, you know, a live music. I don't know if it's the capital of the world necessarily, but it's never going to lose that. It's just, where things are happening is kind of moving and shifting a little bit. All the cool stuff used to be downtown, but now it's a little spread out. There's different little pockets around downtown and all the suburban, smaller towns are just kind of bleeding in to metropolitan proper.
1: Yeah. My favorite, one of my favorite cities I've never visited, but just by the name is like Pflugerville.
2: Uh (laughs) Um,
1: just, Just for the name. I always thought Pflugerville was a funny name. Isn't that a suburb of north, northern suburb of Austin?
2: Yeah. So as you go you know, from downtown, if you were to go north on I-35, Pflugerville is one of the first suburbs that you'll hit. And then Round Rock is just north of that. And that's where I went to high school and I grew up as a kid. And we moved around different areas of town. So, But yeah, Pflugerville is a cool little town. Uh, that's where they filmed Friday Night Lights, if anybody knows that show.
1: Oh, yeah. We went to Austin for a friend's wedding and we stayed in the South Congress. I don't know if it's the district, but like a South Congress street or something. We really enjoyed like the unique quirkiness. So I'm, I'm from Texas, but I'd never really been to Austin. So I was a Houston and Dallas guy, you know, like, well, that guy, I was a kid, you know. So, you know, going between Houston and Dallas and I saw like the distinction between those, you know, like to me, Houston was a little bit more familial and and friendlier and a little bit slower paced. In my view, it's still a bit of an uglier city, you know, maybe because of the zoning rules or, or I don't know. But the people to me were better than people in Dallas. And so I went to high school in Dallas, and like Dallas felt very felt very kind of showy, like new money. I always said it felt very plastic, you know, both plastic in people's bodies and you know using money. <laughs> 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 i'd always wanted to go and kind of see it. and so i finally got to go and man we just fell in love with it too like it was just one of those places where we were so happy to to get a chance um and see it and just like especially the food and going out to the, so many different places to, to see live music so so i'm pretty jealous do you have any uh favorite local bands that we should check out
2: i actually play drums i, I spend my time in the evenings and on weekends, when I'm not making websites, playing drums at a club down on Sixth Street called Darwin's Piano Bar, and it's it's just piano and drums, and we all we do is take requests from from people that are coming in, and most of the people that are coming in are visitors from other places. So um, yeah, if you're ever in Austin again, come come see us at Darwin's Piano Bar.
1: Nice.
0: I like that. It <laughs> yeah, must have some uh, quite a bit of a repertoire there to be able to people coming in and do, they're doing their requests, huh?
2: Yeah, it's anything and everything. It's usually stuff that people would sing along to or top forty kind of stuff from the past fifty-ish years.
1: Are most people pretty good about what they send you, what they're like requesting, or are there are some like really ju- some jerks that are like trying to get you to say something play someone that you're just like, ugh.
2: Yeah, it it varies. Like, like I said, people coming in from all over the place, so. We don't know everything, you know. I've got the easy job. I'm just sitting up there beating on stuff. But the piano players got the hard job. They've got to actually uh, look up the the chart, get the chords right, remember the lyrics, or look them up as they're playing, and then just kind of manage the room to make sure everybody's feeling good and having a good time. And but yeah, some people are some people can get kind of testy if you don't know their song. But we'll just we'll try to negotiate something else if that's the case (laughs) so keeps it interesting
1: that's awesome that's really cool what have you been doing longer playing drums or uh coding
2: been playing drums a little longer than i've been coding i've been playing drums since i was like 10 i started drumming around 10 i think i started coding it was in college been been drumming a little longer than coding
1: i'm just having memories of because i was in a high school band I wasn't a drummer i'm horrible at drumming like i can just do like a little disco beat but i'm, I'm always jealous of, of really good drummers and we so in high school we um practiced a lot in my parents living room they must have loved that huh <gasps> i don't know how they put up with it it was insane we were like full-on like crazy kids like we had full stack like i had a marshall half stack uh-huh. And we had like these big JBL speakers, so we could hear our the vocals over the drums. We basically were just trying to push enough sound to cover the drums. Yeah, in a living room, right? So, <laughs> so on a couple of occasions, we had the cops called on us for noise noise complaints.
2: Thankfully, there's uh, there's practice facilities all over Austin where bands can pay by the hour, and a lot of times those places will actually provide the gear too. So, just the other night, I was rehearsing with some friends. We showed up, and you tell them ahead of time, hey, I want a room, and if you need any gear, you just pay a little extra per hour for it. But there was a drum kit already set up. There was a guitar amp, and all the the PA was there. Uh, They even had microphones. I just had to bring my cymbals, uh, but everything else was there. So that was nice. So, yeah, parents have it a little easier these days (laughs) as long as they're willing to drive their kids to the practice facility.
1: That's, that's pretty awesome. So so when it comes to like actually like having your kit too, you know, I know nothing about that world of you know what your setup is and if people think like certain kits go with certain symbols and all that stuff, but is there a whole world of I'm thinking about the dev world, right? When there's there's all these tools to like do the same thing, right? We're all you know, the end goal is to build this website and we have all these different ways of getting there and very opinionated ways of how to do things. Is that similar in the uh, in the drumming world that there's lots of kind of opinion, or is it just people just have their own styles and and kind of leave each other alone?
2: Yeah, I think it's very similar. Um, drums is a complicated thing, you know, like building a website. There's just there's, there's so many different parts. There's different parts. It's it's one instrument, but it's a bunch of different instruments at the same time. So, you know, what people hear most of all is primarily is the the snare drum on the backbeat. Uh, You know, one, two, three, four. That's what everybody dances to. And like the kick drum on the floor, that's another one that gets played most often. So a lot of drummers will kind of choose their sound based on those two parts of the instrument. And then there's the cymbals. Like you said, there's all kinds of different manufacturers, different ways of making these Symbols that sound different so you're going to buy a certain gear to have to get a certain sound and even in the way you set up your kit it depends on your your physiology and your how your body is most comfortable moving and some people put their throne really low some people sit up really really high so they can get kind of high over the drums and uh yeah so there's all kinds of opinions and ways of doing things uh in the drumming world just like there is in in web development. You know, we, we pick our tools based on what we're comfortable with and what the job is, you know, there's different tools for different jobs. So same thing. It, it's very similar actually.
1: So what's your uh, preferred or what's your kit?
2: I have been playing Pearl drums for as long as I, like my first drum kit that I bought new was a Pearl export drum kit. And I used that for a long time. And a couple of years ago, I spent the money and, Bought a used pearl kit that was like pretty much top of the line under, but not their custom kind of stuff. So I've been really happy with, with those drums. Uh, A friend of mine that I marched with a long time ago actually started a drum company a few years ago and he's been cranking out custom snare drums. He's kind of branched out into drum kits and stuff like that. I just bought one of his snare drums for the first time shipped out on Monday. It's supposed to get, I hope it gets here today because I've got gigs tonight and tomorrow night and I'm hoping to be able to play it. It's a copper snare drum shell. It's been painted with flames. So somebody took a blowtorch to the outside of this copper shell and it's all kind of iridescent rainbow reflective look to it. So I'm really excited to get that one. His, uh, his company is called Pfeiffer Drum Company. And ironically, you mentioned Pflugerville earlier which is spelled with a P at the beginning of the name. So his his Pfeiffer, P-F-I-F-E-R, is similar.
1: <laughs> it's a theme.
2: But yeah, Darren Pfeiffer is his name. I'd encourage any drummers out there to go check out his Instagram feed and his website, Pfeiffer Drum Company.
1: Awesome, man. With your um, web stuff, so what's your what's your preferred setup? Like when you're when you get a a project that's just you um, and you can build it yourself, like what do you? um, What's your setup?
2: Definitely Craft all the way. I've fallen in love with with Craft. Um, I kind of stayed on the sidelines. Uh, Well, backing up even further, I started using Expression Engine around like version one, one point six nine. I think was the first version. I remember, distinctly remember, but I've been using pixel and tonic add-ons for as soon as I knew about them and kind of adopted structure in my typical expression engine builds. And, you know, when craft or blocks CMS, as it was, first came out, I just kind of stood on the sidelines and kind of watched other people's comments and looking for gotchas and seeing how other people's experience was with it. But uh, as soon as I tried it on my portfolio website. I fell in love. So as far as a, a tech stack, you know, LAMP, open source, uh, PHP, MySQL. Um, I was using Code Igniter for a long time before I started using Expression Engine and the CMSs. That's pretty much it. And then I'll, I'll do front end stuff using Gulp. And I've got some libraries uh, that I use on the front end build that I've standardized on.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I came to uh, almost have the sort of same path. I started working with Codeigniter initially as as a, you know, as a PHP framework. And then from there, I jumped into Expression Engine. Then later on, from Expression Engine, I moved on to Craft. So that's that's pretty interesting. I, almost the exact same path.
2: It's been great. I can't find a reason to use anything else now. I've, I've worked with some agencies. Mainly what I do now is you know contract. I'm a contractor for agencies who need a developer, they either need extra help or they just don't have anybody in house to to do the development. So I end up touching a lot of different sites. Some of them, you know, I'm doing maintenance on some old Expression Engine sites and some WordPress stuff and a couple of Drupal things here and there. But every time I look at one of these other platforms, I'm just like confused as to why why things would be organized and arranged that way and. It's just hard to kind of wrap your mind around the the mindset of the developer who is creating these things. Craft just makes so much more sense to me.
0: Yeah, it is, it is painful sometimes when you have to go back and <laughs> do stuff. You get uh, spoiled a bit from using, you know craft the way things are, are, are set up and being able to me it's it's more of the flexibility you know being able to set up however you want your data structured you know that's the big thing you don't have to funnel your ideas of what the data structures are into a pre
1: sort of pre-molded system
2: yeah that's what I love about it
1: I, I love that we don't have conversations about like the template part oh yeah that. not anymore <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that's a dead conversation so it's, it's interesting. I, think I definitely think there's a lot of people who have, have gone that path. So for you then, you're working solo or, or do you have your own team? Is there is there a point for you when you take on projects? Like how how do you as a as a freelancer, and I'm assuming that you're solo, so correct me if I'm wrong, but how do you manage your time? How do you like say yes and no to projects? Because I imagine there's a lot of people in your position and I've been in that position. And there's that whole just really common feast and famine cycle of, of kind of freelancing unless you have some long term contracts. But what's your experience from from that side?
2: Yeah, I am solo. Um I've considered over the years so I've been solo f- off and on for about eighteen years. And, you know, during that time I'd worked at agencies, you know, for a couple of years at a time and then got laid off ironically, like right after we had kids i have two girls and ouch yeah like within a month of having a baby i get laid off that's just how it's happened twice that's the worst (laughs) so
1: twice that happened with both of them
2: yep holy crap dude but yeah i've been so i've been doing you know full-time work at agencies and then kind of moonlighting freelancing on the side ever since or during that time and yeah you're right is so my youngest daughter's about 10 and a half So I've been full-time freelancing for about that long uh, straight. I'm pretty much unemployable anymore. (laughs) I've gotten so spoiled with working, working whatever hours that I would like. You know, it allows me the flexibility to kind of keep my music uh, going and supplement my income that way, and it just blow off some steam. But yeah, you're right. It is a feast and fit or famine kind of a situation. Thankfully, it's been pretty steady. And I think it's because I'll take business and, and projects directly from someone who happens upon my website and, and my portfolio, and they'll be looking for something specific. Uh, like I've already got a craft site or I've already got an expression engine site. And I see that you do, you work with that platform and you know here's here's, here's either an RFP or I'm starting out from scratch. I don't have anything. And but you came recommended, or I found you on Google, um, that kind of thing. But then I also have been trying to partner with agencies uh, to get more steady—in quotes—steady work from those mm-hmm. guys. And that seemed to help kind of smooth things out.
1: You know, this is reminding me because I kind of I forgot, and I don't know where this go, but I think we referred an agency to you. Launch something out of uh, South Carolina.
2: Yes, I'm, I hear from them occasionally. I, what I should have done with them is make them sign a maintenance retainer because every, every once in a while they'll just pop out of nowhere and, hey, we need help with this. Um, so I just bill them by the hour, but I, I don't know. If it keeps up like that, I might I might press the, the issue and get them to sign a, maintenance, a monthly maintenance retainer. But they haven't used me for anything new. It's just been maintenance kind of stuff. The initial task was they needed help with this um, a craft site for a, a major restaurant chain that most people would know, and this is kind of an internal resource for training materials and stuff like that. Corporate company, kind of and the craft build was just a mess. And I tried to convince them to let me rebuild it from scratch, just like Expression Engine and all these in any other platform. You know, there's a, there's a like right way to do it, and there's a not so efficient way to do things. Yeah. Anyway, every once in a while, they'll, they'll hit me up to make changes to that. And and then they'll, they'll hit me up about expression, older expression engine sites that they've got that either need to be migrated or updated or changed somehow. It's just really random stuff from them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of kind of then building things properly, so that's part of why we're on, we're, we're talking today too, is, um, you are building a craft commerce site now, right?
2: Yes, this is my first craft commerce build. I've been working with craft, gosh, for eight, eight-ish years or something like that, and love the platform. I love the idea of being able to do e-commerce the craft way, and I'm at a point now where this, you know, this product catalog that I'm dealing with is pretty intense, and and the client is. Thankfully, the client trusts me to kind of recommend, you know, this is how I think we should do things or so I'm I'm, think, I'm grateful for that. But I'm at the place now, you know, having not having done a craft commerce project before, haven't worked with product types and variants and stuff like that. I understand the basics of it, but uh, we're dealing with a, a pretty robust, expansive catalog. This is a furniture store and they've got chairs, and sofas, and tables, and bookcases, and armoires, and all these things. They're dealing with manufacturers that have their own product catalog, and there's all these different variants of a particular type of chair or style of chair. So my head just started spinning when I started thinking about how am I going to set this up to where the client can enter their their product information or me, if they're going to task me to do that, how am I going to set this up in the most efficient way possible and not paint myself into a corner?
1: Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's transition. Let's dive into it. So we're going to use this time to talk to the specifics of, of this project of yours and see if we can come alongside you and, and figure out a good way to set up the products for what you have and, and start that structure. So let's kind of start with the, the broad strokes of this. So the the first part is, I mean, you've kind of laid this out that this is a furniture company. They don't make their own furniture. They just, do they even have their own inventory in-house or are they just kind of ordering from the manufacturer and sending it to their clients? Like, do you know what that whole fulfillment process is?
2: They do have a brick and mortar location in Austin on South Congress, actually. Probably a little further south than where you stayed when you were here. Okay, It's a showroom. You know, people can walk in off the street talk to a a salesperson, which is probably one of the guys that one of the owners that I'm working with, you know, they can browse around. It's just like going into, you know, any other furniture store they they carry more modern kind of stuff, but yeah, they're not making their own items. They're just, they're just a a retailer. And so I'm not sure what their POS system is in-house. Yeah. I don't really have much insight as to how they're going to fulfill the orders. I think they don't even know. (laughs) They were going to use Shopify and I actually convinced or told them about craft commerce and they showed me some designs and layouts that they had kind of mocked up based on a Shopify theme, I guess. And they're asking me to do a bunch of customizations on it. And I was like, man, if you really want custom, we should probably go this other route with craft commerce because we can pretty much do anything that way. So I think when an order comes in, they're going to see it. And we still have to talk about shipping costs and stuff like that. I don't know if there's going to be a shipping cost, a hard cost per item, or if they're going to, you know what the logic is around.
1: I can see them having, yeah, we won't stay on the shipping thing, especially we'll get to the product stuff, but like I could see them definitely having possibly even like a in-store pickup option, uh, for people that are local, um, and then uh, possible shipping, especially furniture, that would be, there's probably some pricey shipping, or at least it's got to be put into their product pricing. Um, so that's expected kind of uh, operating expense, cost of goods sold essentially. But let's talk about the, the products. So I think the challenge, so the main thing, right, when it comes to commerce and setting up products is kind of figuring out first the distinction between all the product types, and answer the question, like, are they different? And then are they different in the sense of the type of data that you need for different products? So, for example, if you have, so the couches might have dimensions. They might have fabric color choices or fabric choices, color choices. And so those would be some fields that you would need. And those are probably on like a variant level. There might be like one product that has multiple Fabric choices and maybe even price changes based on that. I'm not sure, but then you might have lighting that that doesn't have fabric, um, so it doesn't necessarily have a fabric choice in that direction. But it might have color choices or you know some just some other variant changes. And I, the first question really is to figure out: is there enough distinction between some of the products that then in craft when you structure it that you want to create different product types? Because then that is essentially Kind of like with entries, those are your your entry types, you know, where it gives you a different set of fields to fill in. So that'd be the first piece, Michael. Do you have any like thoughts on specifically even for Roger's project?
0: Yeah, I'm for on on the the topic of product types. It, it kind of helps me to think of uh, product types as like if you know products are basically one channel, and then like you said, the entry types are are the different modifications or, or variations of these sort of th- products, you know, the base product. So in this case it's more of like thinking of a basic description of what they are basically like a dining room table, a coffee table, a sofa, that sort of thing. These things are sort of immutable. It's always going to be chair. It's always going to be, you know, a coffee table. And then later on we can use things like craft categories for different like grouping or taxonomies that are more human oriented sort of things like that. But for the product types, yeah, I would stick with something that goes with, um, you know, for, in the case of tables, for example, there's, I just said two different types of tables. I would, for example, maybe set those up as, as separate. I wouldn't put one product type as a table. I'd put, you know, dining room tables as one product type and coffee tables as another and sort of thing like that. And sofas, chairs and stuff like that. You could go, you know, for example, for chairs, you could break it down and say, OK, I want to make separate groups for um, you know, dining room chairs or uh, outdoor chairs or things like that. But then it's a matter of you looking at the products, the catalog that's, that's going to be input and also kind of think of what in the future, what the products, how the, your client is going to, if you can think, you know, to make it easy for them to input it and it's logical for them as well. You always have to kind of think in the back of your mind, okay, there's a product type, but there's also going to be variants on those, as Stephen was saying before. And the, the variants are different for each product type as well. So you can have your you know basic fields that you have for each product type, and then the variants for each of those product types can have their own fields as well. So in the example that Stephen gave of, you know, like materials that are made out of, you could have, you know, your uh, couches could be one product type. And then within those variants, you could set up fields just for like, you know, uh, materials for the couch or something like that, whereas something that could be like a, I don't know, a dining room table could have other options in the variants. You could have, you know, like multiple materials or, you know, additionals, uh, things that go on or that are variants for the product. It's kind of like looking at it as, as the more general space for the product types and then the different variations
2: on there. So is a is a product type, should I think of that as an entry type
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Think of it as an entry type and and just like think of products as like one channel. If you, you know, for example, if you're thinking about, you know, a section, a channel section type, it's one channel and then your product types are underneath it. And the other thing also, like there are some fields that come with variants for free that you don't have to worry about, like sizes, for example. So dimensions, that's something that, you don't have to you know set up a separate field for it it's already there within each of the variants there's always going to be a dimensions and a weight field as well so those are things you don't have to set up fields for
2: yeah part of the challenge for me is in this particular situation is that they're selling items from many different manufacturers and so you know we could have coffee tables from manufacturer A that have different variants and different yeah like there's going to be different variants potentially from manufacturer A to B to C like for example that one coffee table from manufacturer A could just be all wood and their only variants are which stain do you want but in for the coffee tables from manufacturer B they could have you know separate tops from the bottoms and okay this one's going to have you know you're going to have three different options for the top and two or three different options for the bottom and even variants for how the bottom is painted, you know, do you want the bottom, the bottom's metal, for example, do you want it painted black or do you want it silver or chrome? And then there could be size variants uh, for certain coffee tables, but not others. So what I'm looking at is just, you know, they they're sending me product catalogs from each one of these manufacturers and my challenge is with, set up the fields and the variants and everything correctly so that they can go in and enter coffee tables from any of these manufacturers well i guess that's one of my first questions is should i set up a product type for distinct product type for each manufacturer's coffee table
0: mm, that might uh, be a bit cumbersome I, th- I would think on the on the back end what i would do is i'd kind of it's, it's a bit of work but it, it'll Probably give you a clearer idea of the fields that you're going to need is to go in and look at each of these you know products that are going in in these catalogs and just like create a spreadsheet and and go through and and look at the different. Uh, this, okay, this product coffee table from provider A has this option and this option, but from B has, like you're saying, this option, this option, this option, and then look at those and see ones that can combine or ones that work across all of the different uh, manufacturers and then look at the, the additional ones that you have. If, it, if there's not too many different additional ones and I would just set up the product type, I would go with like, like I said earlier with the more of the general sort of like dining room tables and then create the different variant fields. What I'm thinking about also in the end, and what you have to think about is the reporting value on this as well. The more complex that you you set up, you know, the different product types and stuff like that can be a little bit cumbersome later on when they wanna do reporting. I only had a little bit of time to kind of go over what the PDFs that were that you sent me, so I could look at them. But that would probably be my first step: would just be to go through and, and create a spreadsheet and hash out what the different variant types or, or fields you're going to need, and see how 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 well they kind of mesh together.
1: The goal really is to try to reduce it down as much as like it's okay in the, in for these products, especially if there's you know some of the manufacturers have more variant types or even unique variant types of like they're like you're saying the coffee tables or certain tables you can mix and match you know that's the one I've been actually kind of thinking through is the whole mixing and matching
0: yeah and you can kind of get like for example in the in the subject of materials that the products are made out of I wouldn't create like you know a separate drop down for cloths and then another separate field for you know woods or something like that I'd create a separate materials channel as a regular channel in craft and then set up different entry types for there for like one for cloth different types of cloth different types of wood maybe one for leather or something like that and then uh, within the craft variant itself you could set up a just a regular entry field which is going to link over to that channel so this gives them the option if you have a product that has for example uh, I don't know a sofa with you know metal uh, feet on it on it and uh, it's leather and red you could select multiple ones of those materials to kind of mix them together and that way, also, I'm looking at visual things don't work well on podcasts, but I'm looking at the sort of comp that you have up there, the design on the detail page, and you have things like the color swatches in there, so, you know, they could see all that information could be held in that materials channel, like, for example, the swatches or the colors, if it's a material, it can have the percentage of cotton and and things that pertain specifically to materials, washing instructions and such. And then another entry type could be a wood type, and that could be oak. And that would just have this the swatch of, you know, whatever the, the wood color is or something like that. It's kind of like being a bit creative with, um, in that sense of combining things and using other parts of craft, like regular channels and stuff like that, to sort of complement
1: the product types and product type variants. So we back up, and Michael, this is more me kind of summarizing kind of what you presented too is, is with all the products within the product types. So look at all the product types across different manufacturer or the same product type within a manufacturer, different manufacturers and seeing do are all of them. So are all the dining tables, what are the different options they are talking about? So there there's or what are the within the end, So Like what are the things they're looking at? Is it okay? There's different types of legs or are there are different types of material. Is there anything else? Is there a different type of finish? Like, what are those things? And so that broad level of legs, materials, finish would be, that would be your field um, within the product types that you would pick. Now, the, the values, that, like the actual things that you would enter into those, you don't really want to hard code in some drop down list. No, no, because that's going to
0: need to be updated later on. The advantage of having it in in a separate channel is, of course, is on the data entry end. They're just going to be selecting materials that are already entered, and there's going to be bound to be more than one couch that uses red leather or black leather or something like that, so they can enter content. They're not having to – and with a drop-down, it's hard-coded in there as well, so updating it, they're going to call you, hey, can we update? Whereas, of course, you could use categories to do this as well, but I think the channel – approach is a bit more robust and, and like i said for in the example of materials it'll allow you to kind of tag on additional information easily for them as well and if they see that they have a channel of you know um, materials it's easy for them to go in and add new materials as they start adding in
1: products and even those materials if they want to if you want to define like this material is attached to this manufacturer you can do that so if it's easier to like which material is this so you can identify it a bit more you know oh nice those are what your fields should be so within the variants like for the different product types. I'm just going through what are those broad levels of like are we okay? We're talking about finishes, we're talking about materials, we're talking about legs, that type of stuff, and then even with couches. So we're talking about material, and we're talking for example, like I think one of them was the difference between some of them are going to be sectionals versus just straight, you know, maybe those are actually different products and not the same products of variants, but.
2: Yeah. There's, there's some of these catalogs that I'm looking at where it's like a sectional sofa and they sell individual pieces of the sectional. Like, okay, do you want the long piece to have three segments or four segments? And do you want the little shorter section to have, an arm on it or or not and then how many segments do you want that to be and yeah there's just a lot of different variations on on some of these things
1: really quick like i think some of that is going to be a conversation with your client to figure out like are they really offering all this stuff you know because if they do offer the whole catalog then well i mean i'm now here myself speak you might want to just set up that anyway they can create that offer so so michael now i hand it to you
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> From what I've seen, it is it is a complex. There's a lot of different uh, variants and pieces that go with it. But I would start off with just, you know, thinking about the whole thing and do it in a spreadsheet or whatever, you know, works best for you to kind of think about it and look at and break it down. And yeah, and have a discussion with the client on, you know, what they're planning to offer. You want to try to, you know, make the build on it as open-ended as possible so that you can't make something completely future-proof, but you can make it as future-proof as possible so that it's easy for them to move on. And, and maybe, maybe later on, you know, down the road, they decide to bring in another manufacturer or something like that. So that's the purpose of that, keeping the sort of broad ideas on product types. And, you know, for things like uh, you were talking about sofas and have the different, you know, the sectional piece of the sofa or this and that, you know, they can be sold you know, separately in, in different pieces. The grouping later on for, um, how these are perceived, like, for example, in the navigation of sofas or something like that, that's something that could just be handled by craft categories, I would think would be the best way to do that. Don't think as much about, you know, saying, okay, we're only going to have one product type, which is sofa. You could break it down and say, you know, there's a product type for sofa sectionals and sort of thing like that. If there are, you know, very different in this manner, and then you could group them later on within the content management system using categories.
2: Yeah, I was planning on using craft categories to manage the the navigation on the front end at the top of the site, you know, you've got live, dine, sleep, work, rugs, store, you know, so those product categories from the user's browsing standpoint, I was going to use craft categories.
0: Yeah, definitely, because those are more like broader sort of human taxonomies. They're not, you know, based on the mutable like a chair will always be a chair. You know, you're grouping things together that are more human oriented. So yeah, that would definitely be with the uh, categories
1: would the way to go with that. I'd even say, and this is an approach that we've taken, so I know it's a very biased opinion in the sense of for the menu. I, I'm not even sure that I would still build your menu directly off of the categories, but instead either go some custom route, like something you do in globals to allow them to define. You set up initially where you define Specifically, you build out that menu, right? So then they can edit and add entries or add categories or custom links. Or how however you want to build it and you can do that. We've just fallen um, in love with the navigation plugin from Josh Crawford at verb and we go that route now. It's phenomenal. Yeah. It'll allow you to
0: tie into you know, the pre-existing categories. You know you still set them up in the back end and, but you could you know specifically, okay, I want this node to display you know the live. Category and this one uh, that also gives them the option if later on down the road, if they wanted to include within that navigation something that isn't, you know, uh, a specific product oriented, like a page or something like that, if they wanted to include that within those drop downs, it wouldn't be a problem there. So it's
1: not stuck to those categories and like, well, that's not a category page, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so we can't add it to the menu there. Um, so you just have a little bit more flexibility. And obviously, you could do that outside of that navigation plugin. So, so I mean, the other thing that I think that happens. so if you go around and you shop, because obviously these products are available elsewhere. I mean, (laughs) the big competitor is probably Wayfair. Um, I think Wayfair sells a lot of the stuff that this site will sell and even seeing how they've structured it was kind of interesting. And I think this happens a lot because we've, we just moved into a house and so we've been doing furniture shopping um, and we still occasionally do furniture shopping, but the way people shop, is they don't think of the variants in the same way that maybe we would from an information architecture model, you know, where we're like, I'm looking at, for example, the shelf, it's called shadow shadow sideboard. There's a shadow sideboard. That's two doors. There's one that's one door. And there's that's three doors as a shopper. I don't really care to see all of that on one page. Like that's not necessary for me. Those possibly are three distinct products because I might be shopping, I'm not sure what filters you're going to have on the site, but I might be shopping by size. Like I'm not interested in the large one because I'm only looking for something that's a certain size, you know, to fit this wall space. But that's something that, or a conversation with the client is going to come in because then how do they think of their product themselves and in the back end for reporting purposes, for order fulfillment purposes, is that a variance or not? Because it could get really crazy. I think as you've mentioned is, is if we have this shadow sideboard piece that has six colors or different door colors like thankfully it doesn't <laughs> You know, so you don't have that but you have other like combo pieces and so it's not even just the structural side of like how are you going to set up craft commerce products and what you know your variant fields are going to be but then at what point do you make that decision and this is more of a business decision and and kind of a marketing decision of how they want the pages to be split out and what they want to be seen together of which products need to be kind of standing on their own as their own product entries versus variants and so if it's the third variance you know on the page can you ever access that variant directly um, if they're marketing it or is that first variant, the default one, always going to be the first one that appears? And obviously, you can always do things to make that happen, but that's just stuff you have to talk about. Um, and you have to determine like what's going to be this process for this. So I hope that, that helps. That doesn't really give you any answers. So it gives you more work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, another thing, too, is, is like, for example, uh, the, the topic of like related products and stuff like that. There's things that people will use. Yeah, we'll just use a category or something like that. I would definitely, for things like related products, I always try to push just to keep it as an open, you know, like a product field. So the user has to go in, the the admin user has to go in and assign specific products to it you know, as related products because that's probably what they're going to want. <laughs> to be able to kind of group things and they can promote the products and combinations of products the way they want to do that rather than just having the machine go in. And say, okay, all of these are categories. I mean, that could be the default if they haven't selected any related products or something like for this specific product page, but it's always, uh, I think a good idea to give them as much
1: flexibility and how they want to promote those products. Right. So where does that leave you? What questions do you still have?
2: I'm curious about like if you Steven and Foster Commerce got a Somebody walked in off the street. Hey, I'm selling furniture. I want to set up an online store. Like, what's your typical process for just kind of discovery and mapping things out? We may have touched on some of these things already, but I'm just curious about your top-down approach to getting down to the nitty-gritty and okay, this is where the rubber hits the road as far as your your product catalog and the things that we're going to put on the website?
1: Yeah, great question. So it starts before we do any like modeling and stuff. The first place it starts is how they view their products, um, especially if they make their own. Like a lot of the times they already have their own inventory, right? And so I want to see their inventory sheets or, and it's really revealing to see how they've organized things, you know? So like what's their view of their own stuff is where I start. And so I get that, and that's typically where we have conversations where I'll say, "Can we change it? <laughs> you know, can we do it? Can we do it this way? That's a little bit differently." The, the main thing is we want to make sure. What I'm thinking about is once we get this thing built and people are buying stuff, I want to make sure that what gets sent to through commerce and the orders, we don't have to do a lot of template work to make sure that they're getting the right information about the product that was purchased, and also that it's clear what was purchased. As a line item makes sense to them as like that's actually a thing. So at that broad level, and I guess I'm thinking I'm not being very specific in that because I've seen other builds where it's not clear unless you do some template work um, of like what the actual product was because there's the variants aren't clear or the skew's not clear because it's some parent skew that was in the line item, but it's actually a sub. Skew and really a variant that was purchased. So, wh- where I start off is is a conversation with them about how they view their products, um, how they categorize them, how they understand their variants, um, and I make sure we get on the page with that. And then, basically, if we're designing at that point, then we we design kind of with obviously with that in mind of like what are the things that the user is going to be experiencing, like what's the expectation of like what they're going to be choosing, what can they choose from from these options. There have been times where what they're choosing is there's too much. So we actually have an old commerce site. It was going to be commerce, but they decided to not make it commerce. And it was, um, it's still an expression engine build. And they have a tendency to kind of group everything. And like they have this series of products and they think that of that as one product. And like, there's like tons of variants the way we've, we've had to structure it is to convince them that these need to be broken down into different products and with fewer variants within. So it's not overwhelming. It's not like this whole build your own kind of vibe within there. So, then basically it kind of goes to, to the dev team, to Michael primarily to sift through like for each of the product types, then what are the, um, the fields? What are the, the different variant options at that point that we're walking through? So, cause they're so different, but if it was a furniture company, I think we'd follow exactly what Michael said is we'd figure out what are all the different product types. we laid them out. And if it's not clear what the product types are, then we'd kind of based off of like you have the catalogs we'd kind of use their modeling of like structurally what are the different furniture types and kind of go by what's already been kind of submitted to us so we're not having to rethink that whole industry you know there's going to be something given to you and just following that to see if if that still makes sense in creating your product types and then seeing those the least common denominator of how they're described so as michael talked about with like material possibly dimension already comes in graph but maybe you have like more labeled dimensions like small medium large or three seats two seats you know so like it'd be seats you know or finish color stuff like that and so we'd structure them on that level more with variance being defined by relationships like entries relationships so that's the direction we would go so that when an order comes in, now there's nothing that we have to do. We know there's nothing we have to do with the line items to like create some crazy notes or some some stuff to say. Now during an order, we don't have to like call back to an entry to say, now this product is really related to this entry. And we have to get information from that entry to figure out what this product really is. Um, in order to send it confirmation emails and shipping status stuff. And uh, especially when it comes to, you know, sales reports, it's just more straightforward. It's kind of a summary of stuff we've talked about. Does that, does that still leave uh, open questions?
2: Yeah. So one question I had was uh, during your explanation, you mentioned SKUs. So should I be thinking of a SKU as an entry, an entry being a, a single product and that, single product has a unique skew and it's going to be configured with these uh choices in the variants and those fields, those specific fields. How do how do the skews kind of play in to this whole thing? Well in this
0: case the skews are, are are based on the variants themselves. So each variant is going to have its own skew that
2: way. And yeah each unique combination of these variants is going to result in a unique skew, right?
1: Yeah. So if you look at your so the, the So I'm looking at a catalog from Ethnic Craft Collection 2019, which has all this furniture from the manufacturer Ethnic Craft, right? And when you look at any of these products, like if you're looking at it, and I know, sorry, podcast listeners, you can't see this. um, But what I'm looking at is this really large table called Slice uh, that has three different colors. And to the right of those images where you kind of see what it looks like uh, it describes well the colors are defined by the wood type so there's an oak there's a teak and there's a walnut and then each of those has two different sizes Um, if you'll notice and actually one of them has two to three different variants so one of them for example will say legs that's eight by eight centimeters and that has a skew there of five one nine four two in that little light gray right so that's the eight by eight So for this slice product, where I would start off and I would see this as one product, basically from a user, they see this really large table, their options are going to be the wood type and the leg dimensions. So the legs can either be eight centimeters or 10 centimeters. I'm not fully sure because I don't know this product well. Like On two of these, it shows that there's some other dimensions involved. Yeah, so the dimensions of the tabletop. The tabletops.
0: Or the, the, the full table itself, yeah. Okay. So yeah, actually it would be three variants then. It would be material that's done, the the size of the legs, and then the overall size. Because you have ones, for example, that's you know, one sixty by two forty, another one is one eighty by two eighty.
1: So slightly larger. Yeah. Yeah. So then on this one you would have material, leg size, and then your dimensions would be Michael, would you split that? Would you put the which dimensions would you put in the default dimensions for commerce and the variants? The dimensions are are going along with the variants, the, the products that they're inputting. Yeah, but there's only one set of dimensions, right? Within craft variant, like they only get one set of dimensions. So, like yeah, but each one of those would be separate variants. You know what I mean? So, for example,
0: on the the slice extending table, the first one on oak, there's five one nine four three, so that's one skew, and then there's five zero eight five three. Both of those have ten centimeter legs but they're different sizes. So each one of those would be a separate product variant.
1: They just both happen to have 10 centimeter legs. Oh, got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I was looking at inches versus centimeters and thinking the uh, inches and centimeters are two different things. I was like, what's going on with that?
2: I was a little confused by this product too. Cause it's like each one of the dimensions is a range. And then I realized, Oh, it's an extendable, table (laughs) extendable table yeah (laughs) so the range is like this is the size it is when it's collapsed and this is the size it is when it's extended
1: that is interesting you couldn't use dimensions for that then actually the built-in craft commerce dimensions for that because of that range yeah yeah so how would you set that up michael
0: i would set it up as as a then i would set up a field for that as like a, a dimensions field with you know different options where they could put in the you know the size that it is extended or size that it is you know compact so that yeah that would probably definitely be a field something like a super table or something like that where you could put the dimensions in you know rows or just a table of rows and then use that when they're inputting the product itself then they would have that option to put those dimensions in there that is one case where you couldn't use the
1: the built-in dimensions interesting so that would be unique for tables or for dining tables
2: because this particular table is extendable would that makes it would it make sense to set that up as a unique uh product type within tables like because not every table is going to be extendable
0: that could be an option to do it that way i mean it's basically the the differences here is more of a descriptive thing so like in the in the default variant dimension size, I would just put, instruct them or uh, if they're going to be inputting the data of putting in the smaller size or something like that, because it's probably not going to be sent, you know, extended the table. And then that sort of description of uh, that has multiple sizes, I would put that as more of a descriptive thing that,
1: yeah, that you would put in the variant. So I think that would be kind of for a a separate type. So I'm going to push back and I'd say no. Well, the thing I'm thinking through though, is do we need the dimensions for anything other than display? that's true if the dimensions are only needed for display then we can just have one dimensions text input field right for the variants where they just type it in exactly how it's here and that's all it's used for is just to show this in this format that they choose if however you need the dimensions for shipping purposes and that all that needs to be sent and you need to know then basically at that point you you have to figure out well what's the shipping size you know so when it ships
2: how big is the box? <laughs>
1: Yeah, how big is it when it when it ships in that way? So you're, you're thinking about it more in terms of, of the shipping fulfillment and you wouldn't display it that way. So you have two different things that you have to think through is do they care about the shipping size to calculate and do you want craft to figure that out if you're having some automated shipping thing, you know, shipping rates uh, where you're maybe doing dimensional weight? Probably not, <laughs> you know? I think they would know that and that might be a big deal because that's not straightforward. But I would say you, you could probably... Be okay with doing just the text input, and it's just the display that you're just displaying that this is a range, and you could change. Maybe it's more than one text. You could have an input for width, one for height, one for depth, and you could you know change it that way and have you have three of them. So it's maybe more clear for a client. So it's not like what's this two to three hundred times one hundred times seventy six thing, you know? Like especially if they get you know some staff to help out, and they just want something clear. That's what I would go with, and I think that would be any table. And so, if it's just text input, then you don't need to split that out into different unique fields for different product types. Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
2: So each product entry, it comes with a dimensions field from Craft Commerce out of the box. Is that is that right?
0: Yeah, Stephen said that's uh, you know if you're going to be using some sort of a shipping plugin, it's going to feed off of that.
2: That's what I was thinking. That's where I was going. Like that's that should be the size of the box that gets shipped. And then all these other dimensions, attributes for these can just be plain text fields or, or whatever we, we want to use to show just to display on the front end. This is the size of this particular skew, this variant.
1: Yeah. So, Michael, how would you handle legs in this case? So if legs are the variant, right? so it's the it's really like size you're choosing like eight by eight or ten by ten, and other products will possibly have I haven't seen any other ones, but there might be other ones where legs have it's not about eight by eight or ten by ten, but it's more about the style of the leg or something yeah, so how how would you approach the leg variations? Well, again, those are sort of
0: like descriptors, basically, you know I mean it's. So those could be as just the same as we were talking about, you know, in this case where the table extends and has multiple sizes, that could be another descriptive thing. I mean, the client is going to be inputting it on the back end as a separate product variant anyway, so that's where they can set the difference in pricing and stuff like that, and they'll set up the SKU. If it's something that it's prevalent in, you know, the different table types that they do have a lot of variations on them, then I would think about setting up. I wouldn't say a drop down field or hard coded drop down field, but some sort of a, a field that's going to be specifically labeled for, you know, like leg size or something like that. And then have another one that could be for leg style and which could have, you know, none or could have, you know, different options for styling that way as well. But I always try to think of the administrators, how what's going to make it easy for them to input that content and what's going to be most logical for them to look at too. So that might be, that's, Probably how, how I would first approach it. I would kind of look and see how many of these sort of leg variants or differences there are for the different table types across the different manufacturers.
1: Yeah, for this one, there's just the, the choices of eight by eight or 10 by 10 between a couple of products. So you would just leave that as a text input field of like they just enter an eight by eight or 10 by 10. And what would you label that field? Like leg details or something like that? Or, or if it's specific, since we're creating
0: an entry type just for tables. Then it could be, you know, a field that just specifically says, you know, um, information on the legs or I don't know exactly right now how you, you would word that, but something like uh, um, leg details.
2: Yeah, so not all tables are going to have the same leg options like that's They specifically mentioned they're going to sell this Bach table, which is on page 18. And that one's got more SKUs but fewer variants, it looks like. So I guess my question is, or where I'm going with that is, is there a way, how would you set it up to where not every type of table has the same variant options when they go to, to enter a product? So like this box table doesn't have options for the legs. It's just off table. And if it's Oak or black and what size, if the client is going in and entering information for this block table they don't need to see a drop down for legs for example
1: what if we just used even if it's only used sparingly like still the same structure all the variants of saying we we'll just create another channel for leg sizes and then the entries for those would be super simple they would just be the, the labels of like eight by eight or ten by ten and there's no other data for it you know possibly if they, but I doubt it you know and that way as there's new ones that, that you can just create a new one. Oh, there's an 11 by eight. Okay. We'll just, we'll just create that for this product entry. And so, but if there's, if the product doesn't care about the leg size or it's not something that's mentioned, you know, doesn't, no one's, there's no detail on it. Then you just leave that in empty. And so basically if that field is empty, then you wouldn't display it. You, know, you wouldn't have that variant option on on that page. Mm-hmm. That would be the way to do
0: it now. I mean, one of the things that um, we were using before in Craft 2 was a um, uh, plugin called Reasons, which would allow you to dynamically show, hide, or show certain fields based on if, like, say, a select is, is, you know, we would maybe take that sort of approach. I'm not sure if it's going into Craft 3. I think this might be something that uh,
1: people at Pixel and Tonic itself might be thinking about working in. I was just reading about Reasons. They stopped production because it was supposed to come out the a similar uh, core feature like that was supposed to come out in craft three but then they pushed it back to craft four um that type of feature. so then the reasons developer never pursued it so now it's gonna be a gap in craft three unless somebody takes it over
0: yeah that would be i mean to sort of reduce the the fields to give them less options to select that would be the option to do unfortunately you can't do it right now it would be a matter of maybe something that you could say, you know, in the actual instructions on the notes, you know, if there's no, you know, if this table product doesn't have any specific features for legs, leave it blank, you know, it could be something as simple as an instruction,
2: you know? Yeah. And that's an I guess that's another compelling reason to use uh, the entries relationship field. So if nothing's selected, it doesn't show up on. The-
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, we just found, and I think, I think we're maybe in getting, more solidified in this practice of that variants are the best way to structure them is to broadly label them like finish leg size or even just legs maybe even leg size have to be a thing and then those are all channels so that means that that can be created on the fly so as you're creating that product you can just then create a new entry within that for whatever you need Um, And it's not as limiting. And so then if you need extra details on any of those variants, you know, just house some extra information, like if eventually you want to look up any of that stuff, like you want to look up this material and this material, you know, has a cool story about it. Then if they have a page about that material, then you just reference that materials entry, you know, and you add that extra content to that. But all you really need is that relationship, that entry relationship within the the product variant itself. And then you could just, if it's not applicable to a specific product within a product type, then it just is empty, you know, and then you just make sure your templates are, you know, it's if it exists, then show it as the option.
2: And big picture, all this field setup and stuff like that is just so that the the owner, the admin, can properly define a skew. Right? Correct. And that skew is gonna have a price you know, for that specific SKU. And if I change on the front end, if the user comes to the product detail page, hopefully they'll see just a couple of two or three, maybe variant options. And those would potentially, depending on their selections would actually pull up or generate a different SKU based on their selections. And that's what would update the price for what, Whatever selections they've made it results in here's the skew that matches all these choices, uh, and here's your price for that.
1: Yeah, and the way we typically have done that is you kind of updating the the add to cart form, you know, on that page. If somebody changes the SKU, like we typically have just updated that um, through some JavaScript, you know, just kind of changes what's the skew what the actual product is whenever they they they're looking at different view we've had another site where it's a little bit more complex where there's different add to cart forms based on the the SKUs because they're just there's so many details that we're changing so we just as opposed to it was just easier to to have a unique form for each add to cart um, in that setup but that would be exactly your goal And, and the other benefit of this is so if you're having a selection based on material right and on the product detail page the best user experience is not going to be a drop down for a material for example it's like they can click the color or they can click the material right so they're like i want the green one (laughs) you know they click the green one it shows maybe hopefully a unique image you know in a larger image area and then um they don't have to worry about what the green one's called they don't care what it's called they just care that's green and it looks good so um obviously you would label it for good purposes but the name of it is Low information, like that information is is low hierarchy, so they select that. It changes the variant in the add a cart, and then they add a cart. Then there it goes. But you can put that image of the material on the entry, so that material is called Aurora, and it has an, an image, and you put that into the image. So you don't have to do that for every single product. Of like, here's the Aurora image. You know, here's the Aurora image. it's just attached to that that entry.
0: Yeah, that's something that we did. We did similarly with a uh, another client of ours that was selling um, high-end purses and bags. And the challenge that they had on there is they actually wanted to feature the materials that they were made out of. So you had a, a handbag that was made with, you know, it could have been with multiple materials, but they also wanted to add a little extra information on that material. So doing it that way, if in the future later on they wanted to decide, hey, we want to you know promote leather couches or something because that's that's what we want to do, they could. Add that extra information or, you know, the story behind the leather that this fabric is, whether it's made, stuff like that, can all be attached to that one specific entry in the channel. And that's automatically sort of connected. You know, now that this product, you know, has that uh, entry for the material selected, it's already in there. And you could pull up, you know, all of the the products from this manufacturer that are in that color, you know, or it's more of thinking about on on a user end of what are shoppers looking for? What's the quickest way for them if they want uh, an easy chair and they want a couch to match? You know, If they're looking at the easy chair, it might be a good idea to have the the couch that matches or vice versa.
1: So we've got three more minutes, but any other um, open or kind of lingering questions like we can maybe hit in a minute?
2: I mean, I can't think of any. It sounds like my best uh, strategy from here is going to be making a spreadsheet. Like you said, and just kind of Mapping out all the the different SKUs and what variant selections are going to go with each of those. Look for commonalities among op- variant types or variation types or options, and possibly set up uh, separate channels for certain variants so that it's a little more open ended. Also, I really need to just have a conversation with the client. Is like, what exactly are we going to be putting on the site? Because just this one ethnic craft catalog is huge. It's several hundred pages long and I seriously doubt they're going to want to spend the time to manually enter all these things. So, you know, maybe a good strategy is to just hey, let's start with one, either one product type or one manufacturer and just kind of start there and then look at the next catalog and adapt. (laughs) <laughs> if necessary.
1: I think that'd be a great strategy is kind of, it's a proof of concept, you know, between, so you don't have to build out this whole thing for everything. And then they see it when you're done. <laughs> and then they're like, wait, what? Um, That's not how we approach this. So definitely kind of a proof of concept and how you're structuring this. And you can either choose to go, by one do one product type and kind of like, Hey, did I do this in product type correctly? Does this look right? You know, all right, I'm going to follow that format for the other product types or manufacturer, however you want to do it, but definitely have kind of a proof of concept initial phase that's something that we've started doing for a lot of our projects where our clients will start to see the back end craft before and they'll start entering content and back in there before we even hook up any templates or anything so there's no live there's no live preview or anything like that so it's just we just want to make sure that the structure of everything makes sense to them even if they can't see the site
2: right yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's important for them
0: to be able to, you know, like I said, do a first sort of concept of take the products from one catalog and kind of go through and, and set it up and that it makes sense to them as well, because it, all e-commerce sites are different. I mean, the, everyone that we've made always, every company, every, you know, has their own way of sort of thinking about things. So it has to make sense to them on the back end before, you know, before proceeding further, like Steven said, okay, doing with everything. And then they come back and go, huh, what's this?
2: Yeah. Great. Well, Thank you so much for taking a look at, at this and walking me through it and just talking about big picture all the way down to the nitty gritty.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I hope it uh, works out. I mean, obviously, you know, reach out if you run into any problems or, or thoughts, like we'd love to kind of help you sort through it. So, and I appreciate you uh, being open and, and um, sharing on the podcast and kind of thinking through. I think it's hopefully going to be helpful for other people as well. Um, who are kind of sifting through. I think it helped us to, and we already kind of knew this, but it helped to like define it together to actually talk through the process of like how how important the variants as, as channel entries um, is really a, a core piece of how we build and how we think of things. Um, so I think it'll serve you well.
2: Nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to diving into that.
1: Cool. Well, thanks for stopping in. Yeah. Hey, thanks again for joining us and for being a part of Commerce Minded. Uh, if you or someone you know makes e-commerce uh, world go round in some way, large or small, then tell me. Just email me at steven, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at fostercommerce.com. And, of course, you can find more episodes of the show at fostercommerce.com slash podcast. Reviews are certainly welcome. You can leave them on iTunes. Love it. And, yeah, thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephen Callender, and you've been listening to Commerce Minded by Foster Commerce. See you two weeks.